John 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Mary would later pour perfume on the Lord. She would also wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick in bed. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, they told him, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. God's son will receive glory because of it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So after he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. A rabbi, they said, a short time ago, the Jews there tried to kill you with stones. Are you still going back? Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks during the day won't trip and fall. They can see because of this world's light. But when they walk at night, they'll trip and fall. They have no light. After he said this, Jesus went on speaking to them. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, he said. But I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking about the death of Lazarus, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your benefit, I'm glad I was not there. Now you will believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was also called Didymus, spoke to the rest of the disciples. Let us go also, he said, then we can die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived, he found that, uh, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary. They had come to comfort them because their brother was dead. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, I wish you had been here. Then my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you anything you ask for. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again. This will happen when people are raised from the dead on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even if they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that you are the one who is supposed to come into the world. After she said this, she went back home. She called her sister Mary to one side to talk to her. The teacher is here, Martha said. He is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. Some Jews had been comforting Mary in the house. 
They noticed how quickly she got up and went out. So they followed her. They thought she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Mary reached the place where Jesus was. When she saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, I wish you had been here. Then my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her crying. He saw that the Jews who had come along with her were crying also. His spirit became very sad and he was troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Once more, Jesus felt very sad. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone in the front of the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad smell. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe you will see God's glory? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. He said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. I said it so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen. The cloth was around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the clothes he was buried in and let him go. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, so they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees. They told the Pharisees what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What can we do? They asked. This man is performing many signs. If we let him keep on doing this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come. They will take away our temple and our nation. One of the Jewish leaders spoke up. His name was Caiaphas. He was high priest at that time. He said, you don't know anything at all. You don't realize what is good for you. It is better if one man dies for the people than if the whole nation is destroyed. He did not say this on his own because he was high priest at the time. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. He also prophesied that Jesus would die for God's children scattered everywhere. He would die to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, the Jewish rulers planned to kill Jesus. Jesus no longer moved around openly among the people of Judea. Instead, he went away to an area near the desert. He went to a village called Ephraim. There he stayed with his disciples. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover feast. Many people went up from the country to Jerusalem. They went there for the special washing 
that would make them pure before the Passover feast. They kept looking for Jesus as they stood in the temple courtyard. They asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. They had commanded anyone who found out where Jesus was staying to report it. Then they could arrest him. Well, an ongoing project uh, for some of my family this year has been to watch all of the Marvel movies in order. And in every movie, we're presented with a new problem of global, even universal proportions that the superheroes need to fix before it gets out of hand and destroys the lives of ordinary people. Whenever humanity is threatened, well, it's very tense because people like you and me, we can't fight aliens or robots or monsters. We've got to take cover and hope that Captain America or Captain Marvel or whoever the superhero is, is going to turn up and save them. In the movie Iron Man 2, a huge army of hammer droids are released and they come down and surround a crowd of people and everyone starts to run away. But right in the middle of the crowd is a small child standing still, transfixed. And he's wearing an Iron Man costume, you know, the kind that you pick up at Kmart. And when the giant hammer droid lands directly in front of him and is ready to destroy him, the child raises his hand up like Iron Man would in order to destroy the droid. We're thinking, no. But then the droid is blown away. And as the camera pulls back, we realise that standing right behind the small child is the real Iron Man and his own arm is outstretched. He has come to the rescue and destroyed the droid. Good job, kid, he says, and then he flies off. And, look, there's a lot I could say about that scene, but the one thing I wanted to point out about it is that when the threat of the droids is upon him, this kid's faith in Iron Man proves true. He really believes in him and Iron Man really delivers. And I think, if I dare say, that this is the kind of faith that Jesus is calling us to in John chapter 11. In verse 25, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to read it again. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Being a Christian is to trust in a person, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, with your whole life right now in this messy, messy world and for your life to come. Christians are to journey through this life knowing that when it's over, we will be raised to new life by Jesus to be with him forever. It's a big call. And at the heart of chapter 11 in John, there's this extraordinary miracle when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Like all the miracles in John's gospel, it operates as a sign for us of something bigger. It's the visual proof 
that the words Jesus has spoken about himself are true. He can bring life to us now and he will raise us from death in the future to new life forever. With this miracle, he promises it. And so he says to Martha, and we can hear him ask us to, do you believe this? And will you entrust yourself to me? It sounds sort of simple, but I think it's easier said than done, especially when life is difficult and we may find ourselves reluctant or doubting. Now, I do not need to tell anyone here how disappointing life can be. I think, I reckon 10 times in the past week, I've said myself or heard someone else say, gee, 2020 has been a really hard year. Globally, there have been over 1.3 million deaths from COVID so far. Do you remember the bushfires? They're like a distant memory, aren't they, because of COVID, but the trauma of that last bushfire season continues to affect many people and towns in Australia. And each and every person here on Zoom today has had their own unique share of sorrows and pain to bear this year. Some of us have been grieving or worried about loved ones. Some of us are sick. Some of us have never felt so lonely or less in control of our lives than we have this year. Some of our closest relationships have been strained, even to breaking point. We all have unmet desires and lost opportunities troubling our hearts and minds. 2020 is not what we expected or hoped for. And maybe like me, sometimes you've wondered, where is God in all of this? What is he doing? Can I keep trusting him? In this story that we read, Martha, Mary and Lazarus were also in a confusing, painful mess. Lazarus was very sick and Jesus wasn't nearby. He was a couple of days away, but still they send for him. They know he can heal Lazarus. They've seen it before. And moreover, they were not strangers reaching out to Jesus they were his close friends. You might know the story in Luke's gospel where Jesus is hanging out in their home. Martha's making all the food and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. And here in this passage, several times we're reminded that Jesus loved them. In verse 3, the sisters send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in verse 36, the Jews say, see how he loved him. So surely Jesus will help these people. But things don't work out as the sisters imagine. Because Jesus doesn't rush back and heal Lazarus before he dies. He doesn't even heal him from a distance. And we know he can do that. We saw back in John 4, Jesus just says the word and the son of the official is healed. No, in this story, Jesus seems to stall, doesn't he? And when he gets to Bethany, it's been four days since they prepared Lazarus' body and laid him in the tomb. He is really dead. And when Jesus finally arrives, both the sisters say the exact same thing to him. Did you notice? It's exactly the same. Lord, 
In verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 32, when Mary saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They have faith in him. They call him Lord, but they don't understand. Why weren't you here? You didn't act like we thought you would. We thought you loved us. Martha's not completely without hope. Straight afterwards, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. But she doesn't seem too sure about what Jesus will ask or do now. Well, do you know how that feels to pray to God to intervene in a particular way and then be disappointed? What's going on? Can Jesus be trusted? Can we really put our lives into his hands? As we look at this story, I want to show you that the answer is yes. There are many good reasons here to keep trusting in Jesus. Firstly, because Jesus does love his friends and he knows them well. Mary and Martha may say the exact same thing to him, but he responds really differently to each of them. With Martha, he has kind of a theological dialogue. She needs to talk it out. Jesus says, your brother will rise again in verse 23. And she says, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. She's trying to trust Jesus still, but she doesn't dare to hope in him too much now. Instead, she turns to her good theology her belief in the resurrection of the dead on the last days. She's got the right ideas in her head, but her heart is doubting Jesus. Hope is becoming theoretical and remote. But it doesn't have to be. She has Jesus right in front of her and he takes the time to listen and reassure her and he gently challenges her, building her faith back up. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Do you believe this? Do you believe eternal life and resurrection are not just lofty ideas or wishful thinking? They are real and realised in him. Jesus doesn't just preach it or prophesy about it. He promises that he will make it happen. And Martha responds, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. I don't think she's 100% sure what Jesus is about to do, but she's back to placing all her bets on him, whatever happens next. And that's what faith looks like. In all the uncertainty, she's sticking with him. And so then she goes to get Mary so that Jesus can reassure her too. But when it comes to Mary, it's a different story. In verse 33, Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There is no discussion now with Mary. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35, Jesus wept. Mary is so distressed and so Jesus grieves with her because death is awful and the death of a loved one is devastating. Jesus enters into the grief even though he knows what he's about to do for Lazarus. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't say, don't you trust me? 
He doesn't rush in to fix things, but he's moved by her suffering and he cries with her too. And this is the sign of a trustworthy friend, isn't it? Someone who is willing to sit in the pain with us, even if they know better or can see the bigger picture. Whenever we're sad, compassion is a good gift to receive. And if we cry out to Jesus, we can be confident that he cares. In the Old Testament, Isaiah said that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's an important part of Jesus' character. And he comes not just to empathise with our suffering, he comes to take suffering onto himself, experiencing it firsthand, rejection, abuse, slander, loneliness, and even death on a cross for our sake. Well, he loves us and he's compassionate, but is he reliable? Can we trust Jesus when he's so late to the scene? Because we, well, I want to say we can because what transpires in the story is that Jesus is actually completely in control of the situation. And it may look late to us, but his timing is perfect because he's deliberately late. If we go back to verse 4, when the message comes to him about Lazarus being ill, we see Jesus say, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It sounds like he thinks he'll recover. But then out of the blue, he says to the disciples, now let's go back to Judea. And they object, no way, Jesus, we got away from there because people want to kill you. Jesus replies to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but, he, but I'm going there to wake him up. Okay, they say, well, if he's sleeping, then um, he'll probably feel better when he wakes up. They don't get it. And Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe but let's go to him. Jesus knows all that's going on, even from a distance, and it's in stark contrast to the disciples who are totally in the dark and misunderstanding him. It is dangerous to go back towards Judea, but that's not why Jesus stalls. He stalls because he doesn't intend to heal Lazarus. He wants to raise him from the dead instead. Why? So that we can believe in him and so that he might glorify God by making it plain that he is God's son, the resurrection and the life. And then he says God will glorify him too, the son, and he'll do it by raising him up onto a cross to die for us and then by raising him up in resurrection. And it's this death and resurrection that secures our life in Jesus. We can trust Jesus. He knows what's going on and he is in control. He's in control of what's happening in the small story in Bethany here and he's in control of the dangerous mess unfolding around it in his own life. Because when the word of Lazarus being raised gets out, it makes the religious leaders decide finally, once and for all, that Jesus has to die. It's not that they don't believe that he did the miracle, 
they do believe it. They know he's performing miracles, but they refuse to believe that the claims he makes about himself, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he is God's son, God in the flesh, they cannot accept it. It's blasphemy to their ears. They see Jesus not as a saviour, but as a dangerous disruptor. In verse 47, we hear them say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So raising Lazarus is the final nail in his own coffin, so to speak. Jesus knows his own death will come as a result and he's not trying to escape it. Because while, yes, it's an evil plot put in motion here against him, it's ultimately part of God's good plan. And John tells us exactly this in verse 49 when he talks about Caiaphas, the high priest, who spoke up and said these words, you know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And John writes, he did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Can you see that that's talking about us even in that verse? And so from that day, they plotted to take his life. There is nothing on earth that happens outside of God's control. Paul wrote about it this way in his letter to the Romans. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Sometimes we're tempted to think we know better how our story should go. But God has the whole picture in mind and he works for our good when we let Jesus be the hero of our story. We can really trust him because he's already done all that he can and all that is necessary to secure for us the thing that we cannot get for ourselves no matter how hard we try. His life for our life so we can be drawn into eternal life with him. He has nothing to gain from raising Lazarus and everything to lose and he did it because he loves us. So will you trust him with all of your life, with every circumstance? Will you allow him to reassure you with his word like he did Martha and comfort you like he did Mary by his spirit? Will you accept his death on your behalf to secure your life forever and trust the way he is at work in your life now for your good? My prayer as I read this passage and reflect is that we will keep supporting one another to persevere in this and proclaim the extraordinary good news to others. Amen.